Tanse. Hello and welcome to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olet Stonechab, and I'm very excited and inspired to have this conversation with Chief Ladybird. She is an artist, an illustrator, an educator, and a community activist from Rama First Nation and Moustier Point First Nation, who was living in Toronto, but she actually moved back home uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. And her art is focused on foregrounding the experiences of Indigenous women, and she's well known for her murals, her digital illustrations, her children's books, and her contributions to local spaces, but also through partnering with other Indigenous voices and brands. And honestly, a lot of her work is so inspiring because she is so rooted in her own authenticity and she is in her power and she doesn't really care what other people think. And that is what I find so inspiring. Hello, Tanse, and welcome to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olette Stonechild, and I'm very excited to have Chief Ladybird here with me today. Uh, thank you, hi, hi, for being here. If you just want to introduce yourself to the audience, uh, take it away. For sure. Miigwech for having me. Uh, my name is Chief Ladybird. Um, that's the name that I was given in ceremony when I was a baby. So it's a name that I've carried with me my whole life. Um, I was given permission to use it in my art practice. Um, and when I introduce myself, I like to sort of give that information because I know some people assume that it's like an artist moniker that I gave myself, but it's definitely not. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, when I first was introduced to your work, I was like, is this an Instagram handle or is this your actual name? So I thank you for clarifying. Yeah, for sure. I know it's like definitely um, can be read in that way. So I just like to clarify um, but yeah, I come from Rama First Nation and Moose Deer Point First Nation. Uh, I was first registered at Moose Deer, which is my dad's reserve. And then when I was a baby, moved to Rama, which is my mom's reserve where I grew up and recently moved back here from Toronto. Um, and I sit in the Eagle, Eagle Clan. <laughs> I don't know why that didn't want to come out. <laughs> sweet sweet so you're you just moved from toronto right and so i see i watch your stories and you have this mothership is that currently where you are yes i am currently coming at you live from the mothership <laughs> um it's i when i moved back um it was because of the pandemic like i didn't want to be uh, going through the lockdowns and stuff alone in my apartment so i came back just temporarily and then as I was back, the decision was kind of like, well, maybe it's time to come home. And I was like, not fully ready, but I knew I was going to be ready. Mm -hmm. So I just like bit the bullet and did it. And then we, you know, I was kind of working out of my parents' uh, dining room and it was really hard to like spread out and get everything done that I had to. So it was actually my brother who suggested it. He's like, why don't you like build put a little building over there and like make an art studio. And it was like, wow, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> so yeah. we, yeah, spent all last summer like building it and lots That's of awesome. people from my family and community came and helped. And so, yeah, it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. How was the transition moving from like very busy Toronto to now like having your own space and kind of making your own schedule and doing what you want and being around family? How was that transition for you? It's been so good. Like I didn't realize how much being in the city impacted my mental health. I think I kind of just 
accepted it and thought this is just what life is and I just have bad mental health and nothing I can do will change that but coming home like everything just got so good like I'm I've never been this happy like (laughs) in like even maybe more than the last decade that I was in Toronto so I'm like I don't know trying to understand that being home and with community and on the land like makes a massive difference and it's just been actually a really seamless transition Mm -hmm. pretty good (laughs) Yeah, because you were living in Toronto by yourself. Mm-hmm. I was alone for like the better part of nine years. I think I had along the way, like three different people had kind of lived with me, but only for very, very short periods of time. And it was just like a very small space. So it was like never the, never mm. the greatest, but like, yeah, for the most part, it was just me and my dog. And that like you underestimate how much living alone like impacts you. Hmm. Well, that's kind of where I'm at. I've been in Vancouver for eight years now. And like when the pandemic started, I was alone and I was isolated and it was very like it was impacting my mental health. I was like, okay, hey, I need someone to talk to. Like you can only do so much alone as artists, though. I feel like we kind of get comfortable in this schedule and this routine that sometimes we're not even aware of how isolating it can be. And so I invited my brother to move in with me. And it's been very, yeah, same thing. It's been helping out so much and creating that connection and the relationship to our families while they're still here, I think is so important. Um, And for those of you who don't know, Chief Ladybird is an artist, you're a graphic illustrator. How would you phrase what you do in your own words? And probably not the best for this. (laughs) I literally just say artist because like, I actually like I think a lot of people think that I studied like illustration and graphic design in university but I actually did drawing and painting um, which is I guess maybe still what I kind of do because I do a lot of acrylic paintings but I have like taught myself how to do the digital stuff so I just say artist and then I just do whatever feels good. (laughs) Yeah did you go to school for it? Yeah I went to OCAD University in Toronto. Um, I moved That's why I moved down to the city, actually, straight out of high school in 2011. Um, And I did drawing and painting, and then I did a minor in Indigenous visual culture. So I was lucky that I was able to also study, like, Indigenous art subjects and be around, like, my peers and stuff. Um, Yeah, graduated in 2015. And then after that, I was just, like, time to just do some art, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you've been like busy ever since I imagine because your art speaks for itself. And I I look around and I know it's a chief ladybird. Like it's kind of like prominent across Canada. And so how do you keep, you know, your schedule going and not feeling overwhelmed? Because I can imagine there's a lot of work that you get to do, but also a lot of work still that's needing to be done. Yeah, I get overwhelmed (laughs) because like when stuff comes through my inbox, I always tell myself, okay, I can only do this much. Don't take on extra, like just stick to what you have to do. But then something cool comes through my inbox and I'm like, oh, I can't say no to that. So then I just like (laughs) keep adding stuff. Um, But the good thing about moving home is that now it's not 100% of my focus. Like when I was in Toronto, I didn't really... I don't know, have other people around. So it was like I could 110% of the time be doing my art all day, all night. And that was not sustainable for my mental health or my spirit. So um, when I moved back, Mm. there's more stuff for me to do, I think. Like Mm -hmm. I go paddleboarding all the time, always on my bike. I live with my family and like my brother is dating 
the girl who turned out to be my best friend. <laughs> so I live with like <laughs> my favorite people and there's sweet. always something to do. But like, uh, I don't know. I have like three different calendars and that's kind of what keeps me on track. But at the same time, I, I'm not on track because <laughs> I'm very like flighty <laughs> and like, oh, I'm just going to go do this today. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. What is your sign? What is your horoscope sign? I'm an Aquarius and then I have Cancer Moon, <laughs> Cancer Rising. And if if this helps you too, my Venus is in Aries and my Mars is in Cancer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I was going to guess Aquarius because like Aquarius, oh, that makes so much sense. I'm a Pisces. Um, Aquarius time to... They're, they're leaders, but they are leaders to their own, like, drum. Like, no one can really tell them what to do. <laughs> so I totally see you as an Aquarius. Um, yeah. Why do you think it's so important for Indigenous art to be out in mainstream spaces? Yeah, I think that um, that's a big question. <laughs> but I think <laughs> it's, it's important. Um, first of all, you know, I, I when I'm making my work, I'm always thinking about... Um, like the work that artists like Morso and Ojig did um, like way back in the day, because, you know, our, our work was always seen as like artifact or historical. It wasn't seen in a contemporary light. And so I think, you know, institutions always wanted to put us in the museum aspect behind the glass, like keep us in the past sort of thing. And they really advocated and worked really hard to have us in galleries and to be contemporary artists and to push the boundaries on like what indigenous art was. Um, so I'm always thinking about that. And, you know, how important that groundwork that they did was for artists like myself and all these other amazing artists across Turtle Island who, you know, we can basically choose the route that we want to take. And there's so many artists doing like so many different things, like Mm -hmm. not even just within our like more traditional art, but like branching out and combining it with different things, doing comics, doing animations, doing video games, VR. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just important that like we're sharing our perspectives and continuing to um I guess in a way it's resisting the boxes that we've always been put in um mm. and taking control of these narratives in order to um okay, I'm not gonna swear I'm not gonna swear <laughs> in order to <laughs> say F you to the stereotypes and yeah. um sort of subvert these narratives that you know have just not allowed us the space to grow and be ourselves. And I think that Indigenous artwork really does that, not just for Indigenous artists, but for everyone in Indian country to Mm. um, sort of uplift us and think about the future and think about where we are, where we're going, like just so much. I think it's just like a very beautiful thing that we're making work in a contemporary way and space and time. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that's so important is we're often sometimes as Indigenous people where, you know, we're kind of the focus to speak for certain subjects or to have this certain um, always talk about history and always talking about the past. And so I like that you bring up, you know, reimagining a new future that challenges um, our identities as Indigenous people and how people perceive us. And so what is your process like when you are um, creating a piece of artwork? What makes you say yes to one thing and then maybe no to another? Oh, that is like very subjective, I think. But I think a lot of the stuff that I've been kind of being able to say yes to lately are projects that will not just like pay me, but projects that will also put money into things that are important for our communities. Um, you know, for 
for example, projects that um, donate either a portion or the whole of the proceeds into a, a charity or making posters that will um, that allow me to choose kind of like, hey, there's a GoFundMe that could really use this money. Instead of paying me, let's like funnel that money into this. Um, and because like a lot of the time when I'm making work, I'm always thinking, like, how is this going to impact um, where people are at with like certain societal things that are happening, political things. Obviously right now our communities are experiencing a lot of grief. And so I'm very like sensitive and conscious of like what's going on around me in terms mm -hmm. of what kind of art um, is going to kind of speak to what's going on without like using that for clout, if you know what I mean. Like that's never ever the intention, right. but it's like responding to, to where we're at and finding maybe not solutions, but like, making offerings to the conversations and the narratives that are happening and um, finding new ways to continue talking about stuff. Um, but at the same time, sometimes it's exhausting to just always have to take that stuff on. And so sometimes I'm just like, you know what, let's just do something that's like super cool <laughs> and fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was going to be my next question is what keeps you motivated and inspired when you're um, constantly doing your art? How do you have constant like inspiration and creativity? Uh, one thing that's been really helping me since I moved home is like being out on the land. Um, when I go out for my bike rides, I have this like fanny pack that I like strap across my chest and put my phone in so I can like listen to my Spotify and I'll just like ride around the area, find new little back roads to go on and just like jam out to some good music and just like I see what I see and like there's this thing that I do whether I'm on my bike or my paddleboard or I'm driving with you know the people in my life it's like looking around and like listening to like what I'm being shown so like mm. a lot of times in my life there are certain symbols that show up that kind of like lead me or like show me that I'm kind of on the right path like for example if a butterfly will like fly directly in my path that is like yeah, you're doing something that's like super joyful and like keep going. Joy is there. Um, and it's like these really good, powerful reminders or like lately it's blue herons. And like, I feel like we don't see blue herons often. Like they're, they're kind of rare to see, but lately I've been seeing them like every single day. And like mm -hmm. to the point where they're like right in front of me, like on my paddleboard, one flew right in front of me. I could have reached out and touched it. Like I didn't have time to take my phone out because I was like, this is just for me. Yeah. It's so beautiful. <laughs> this is a <laughs> and, sign. And like those have always been powerful symbols to me about like independence and moving forward on my path and like being in a good place. And like, um, yeah, something about the blue hair and suit. And they're on my mind. I think that's why I'm going on a tangent about the blue hair. <laughs> but um, I always saw them as like, you always see them by themselves and I've always been by myself. So it was like independence, being alone is not being lonely, like knowing the difference between them. But then when I was in Vancouver um, in Stanley park, there's like all those blue herons, like up in the trees with their families and they have like all the mm. babies and they're all there, like all the aunties and the moms <laughs> and the babies. And it's like so loud and you know, there's nests and everything. And I saw that and I like cried because I was like, oh my god these birds are like not alone and like mm, i'm not alone so yeah <laughs> they're like this really great symbol for me and so i guess what i'm trying to say is that like listening to my surroundings and the signs uh often keep me motivated and give me inspiration 
Yeah, I think that's so important because like as artists, we're often seen as like individuals, but that's a lot of my work too is like connecting to creation and like connecting to a higher power and like asking for intuitive hits or synchronicities to come through. Um, So yeah, I like how you worded it is like you're connecting to your environment and to your surroundings. And I think sometimes when we are put on these public platforms and we have our art out there, there is a lot of opinions and there's a lot of feedback and there's a lot of people that may not agree with what we're doing. And so how do you remain rooted in your own power and like in your own authenticity when you do challenge others' perceptions or um, opinions? Yeah, I do a lot of... um a lot of talking to myself and a lot of talking to creator. And like, I put out, um, I put out food, I put out tobacco. I, I do like the offering and the talking and the smudging and um, all of my good, good medicine that will just like help me continue to be connected to that. Like you said, that greater power and creation. Um, and I think that's like a really big guiding force in my life. Um, my dad's a medicine man. And so he's often like, shared um that aspect of like living in a good way with me and so it's kind of something that's like inherent and intuitive and something I've learned since I was very young and so I've, I very much hold on to that especially when <laughs> I'm challenging people on the internet and things get a little rocky and a little tough um <laughs> but you know being able to talk to people um who sort of understand where I'm coming from and who see me for who I am uh is really important mm-hmm. and it's taken me a long time in my life to like um, learn who is good for me and learn how to love who and what is good for me. Um, and to keep that circle of support around me. Um, I feel like with the beer can thing, which I think is what you're kind of referring to, um, (laughs) when all of that was sort of blowing up and it was controversial and stuff. Um, I, what kept me rooted really was like my family and my community and the support that came from that and, and them telling me like, we love you for standing up for what you believe in. We love that you challenge this stuff and it's going to be hard, but we've got your back. It's like, I never underestimate the power of uh, community support and that rootedness that comes with that. Mm. And now that it's been like a few months, uh, for those of you who are unaware, Chief Lady Bird did this collaboration with this uh, brewing company and she designed a beer label that was very beautiful, but it had a lot of feedback um, within our own communities on how alcohol has been really damaging to our communities. Um, So there was obviously some polarity when it came to that collaboration. And so now six months, I think it's been like six months now. Um, looking back on that situation, like, would you have still done it or would you, or do you regret that? How does that feel for you now? It definitely feels like six months, but it's actually only been about two months. Um, what? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but it, I definitely don't regret doing it. Like I, I stand by why I decided to. Um, and I just, I think that I'm the kind of person that's willing to like take on the hard stuff where it's like maybe these conversations might not have happened as soon as they did without this beer can. And like so many amazing conversations happened like amongst so many people from so many different like um, phases in their life or like different nations and communities. Mm. And it's like, I can't, I can't ever like be angry about that. Like, I'm just like so grateful that everyone speaks how they feel and like shares a part of their story. And there was a lot of people who, um, 
like came from their own personal stories throughout their lives about why they didn't agree with it. And it's like, I have nothing but respect for those stories and mm-hmm. I tried to hold space. Um, but also at the same time, there was a little bit of um, vitriol and anger and attacking and like accusing. And like, I think the hardest hitting things that were said were like, if we can't blame you for the atrocities happening to our missing and murdered women, then who can we blame? And I was like, I don't understand. Like I, (laughs) there's a, definitely a disconnect between the, the issue and who to blame. And I think that that might be Mm. one of the main things is that like, nobody knows who to blame for the stuff that's happening. And it's like at a certain point, everyone, we're all grappling for answers. And I get that, but I was kind of like, I'm definitely not to blame for the atrocities. Like we need to hold the perpetrators of this violence accountable. They're the ones who are doing this. And like, I just, you know, my main, I think my main thing was like alcohol is so stigmatized and people often get like pushed out of ceremonial spaces for not being sober for a certain amount of days. And in a lot of time, in a lot of situations, there are people who can't get sober for that amount of time and still be well. And so I think Mm -hmm. people still deserve community spaces and love and ceremony. And we need to, I think, rethink some of these protocols that often um, push people out of the spaces where they can find their healing. And I mean, there's just so many different avenues of things that happen during this controversy that like so many issues, a lot of binary thinking, Mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of stuff. And I, it was like a lot, but I've been, you know, obviously I think about it every single day. I have, the beer cans like on display because I'm really proud of like the the label and it was like a new type of illustration for me like I was really experimenting mm-hmm. with my style and um, I look at them and I'm just like what a journey <laughs> <laughs> what an evolution what a learning and teaching moment I remember I the reason why I said six months I think I'm cluing in now is because six months ago I was asked to do a wine partnership and those were my thoughts like my thoughts are like how's the community gonna react to this like is it gonna like I just had so many layers and that were going into my thinking process and I eventually said no because I wasn't ready to have that conversation um not not only with myself, but also with the community. So I really, I remember sliding into your DMs and I was like, yo, thank you for like taking this on because this has been a really big uh, learning lesson for us all. And I agree. I think we need to destigmatize like alcohol within our communities. Um, my family comes from our own history of like substance and alcohol abuse. And as challenging as it is to have these conversations, this is a part of the healing and growing process. And like you said, like we shouldn't be using a indigenous woman, a indigenous person as the target for all of our, um, you know, feelings towards this, all of our hate or our anger. So you touched on some like very true and valid points. And I think that's sometimes what people fail to recognize is like, we are not the sources of the problems. Like this is a part of the sis- the system. It goes much deeper. Um, there's there's a lot more to this than just uh, the beer label. Um, so yeah, thank you for you know taking on that big uh, learning lesson and teaching moment for not only yourself but like for other people within the community. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I think too that there was a lot of misogyny at play as well, which I found very interesting, and I didn't really anticipate it because like. I'm not the first person to do a beer label. I'm not, not the last, but you know, I, I do have like men in my life. Like specifically I'm thinking of Luke Swinson. He's a good friend of mine and he did a beer label a year before. And so 
when he was doing that, we had like a ton of conversations about it and his label was beautiful, but he got no backlash for it. And, Mm. you know, for that entire year between his label and my label, we had those conversations about it. And, um, you know, I really was like, well, like Luke was okay. This should be okay. I really didn't think it was going to blow up the way that it did. But when it Mm -hmm. did, I was like, you know, do you, do y'all realize that like when men do this, you don't have the same reaction. And so that's Mm. like another issue in itself. And there was even a man who did a label for the same project at the same time who had like no, no reaction. Um, Mm. And I get it at the same time, because I understand that like the label was misconstrued as a Thunderbird when like my thought process was like, I'm not putting our Manitous on there. I'm not putting our traditional stories. It's literally a bird, but I understand why. And I think that there's like some teachings that can come from people sort of seeing that as a Thunderbird. It's like, I've been thinking about that so much and the healing that comes after the Thunderbirds bring those storms and the, the ways that it helps our medicines grow. Like, yeah, it was a stormy time, but now we can continue having these conversations and all this good medicine is going to flourish and we're going to, be able to like make more change. And um, yeah, I also like really want people like yourself to know that like, we shouldn't have to limit ourselves from doing certain things that we want to do just because we're indigenous and we're like afraid of how it's going to be perceived. Mm-hmm. Because, like, but I understand so much because it's like you want your community to be supportive and to feel represented in an accurate way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why like consultation and talking is just like so important. And I did do like some Instagram polling and I did talk to people in my community and my circles and like was getting opinions along the way and like really thinking it through. And I think that that's just like a really important piece when we're doing different things, you know what I mean? And yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, people don't understand like how much thought process goes into like collaborations or partnerships because I, I have consulted too with like mm-hmm. elders and knowledge keepers and people in my community. I've done polls on like my close friends and, you know, at, at times I'm like, I can see the vision and I can see where this is headed and I can see the healing, but I'm like, is the collective ready for this message yet? <laughs> like as an artist, sometimes you're like, I don't know about you, but I'm very like long-term focused. And then it's like, okay, maybe it's not meant now, but maybe in like a few months. But um, yeah, yeah. it's that's that's what I always lean on to. I'm like, why can like Becky do a wine ad? Right? <laughs> and then like, we, we're like demonized for it. And I had like and the same thing too of like why are indigenous men allowed to um do these things but then we get demonized if we do it so yeah there's kind of like a double standard that's going on that I never even really thought about till you actually just said it totally and like the amount of emotional labor that we have to do is so much extra than like literally like you said like Becky doing a wine label or even indigenous men doing stuff like we are expected to do all of the consulting along the way and you know, when I took on this partnership too, I was very much like, you guys can consult with the aunties and the, and the people in your communities. Like you can kind of take that on. Like it's three indigenous men. And I was like, I would like for you guys to take on some of this because like, we're always doing like all of the labor. And then at the end mm-hmm. of the day, I ended up doing it all anyway with the aftermath of it. Yeah. But it's just so interesting yeah. to me, like that expectation. And like, I get it because we we do care so much and I think that's just like who we are as people and but it's when it becomes this like huge expectation it's like we really need to step back and think about why some people are expected to do this all the time and other people aren't it's it does get exhausting mm-hmm. but it is also at the same time responsible so like yeah. I'll never stop doing it but 
it's like, hey, other people can do it too. Yeah, yeah. I think it, yeah, I think there's beauty in being held accountable by your community, but then there's a lot of weight attached to it and a lot of expectations. And I think expectations too come from, you know, having a bigger platform or having more people following you. Then it's kind of like, well, you need to be doing X, Y, and Z. And yeah, there's just like a lot of uh, things that go on behind the scenes that people don't realize. Do you ever wonder what goes on behind the scenes of your favorite homegrown films and TV shows? Well, it's time to pop some popcorn, go behind the camera, and meet the people who are making it happen. I'm Mariska Fernandez, host of the Maple Popcorn Podcast. In this new series, you will discover exclusive interviews with Canadian icons and hear them talk about Canadian flicks and even break the fifth wall to share set anecdotes. This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female and powered by Telefilm Canada. Subscribe now on the podcast app of your choice and don't miss an episode. Stay in the know by visiting telefilm.ca slash see it all. Uh, but what we touched on kind of is like this idea of matriarchy and this idea of, you know, having a legacy and women surrounding us that help uplift us and support us along the way. And so I'm curious to know, how do you define matriarchy? And are there ma- matriarchs in your life that you're currently inspired by? Yeah, I think that matriarchy is like, obviously, like a leadership um, role, but not in the sense of like, how we think of leaders in terms of like, the system or the government or like chief and council and stuff like that. Like (laughs) it's in a way it it is a little bit deeper than that because like it encompasses, like we were talking about accountability and um, taking our communities into consideration and making sure that we're um, like walking our talk and setting a good example and um, thinking about not only our own wellness, but like the wellness of, future generations and the children who are looking up to us and the wellness of our elders and our aunties and our uncles and, you know, people in our communities. It's like, you know, you look at people, for example, like in the federal government or in other forms of leadership. And it just seems like that's not a priority when they're taking on this leadership. Like it's very much about appearances and Mm. reputation. And I think that for us, it just like almost is embodied not Mm -hmm. only within ourselves, but outside of ourselves, because we're also thinking about sustainability in the land. And Mm -hmm. it's just like so multi-dimensional that it is, it is a hard role to be in, in my opinion, because, because of like the weight of it, but Mm -hmm. it's also like really beautiful to, to be able to carry that weight. And there are so many matriarchs in our communities who are obviously strong enough to bear that weight and, and willing enough to do it. And um, yeah, I'm just, grateful that it it is a role within our communities you know yeah and I think you um touched on another thing throughout this conversation and it's like putting all having these having this weight and having all these thought processes that come into collaborating and partnerships and one of the things um is partnering with like bigger brands or corporations I'm curious to know like what are your thoughts behind that because I know as an influencer when I'm deciding to partner on with someone I'm like okay now I gotta put into factor like if they're sustainable or if they have all these other things attached to them when in reality it's like oh what brand doesn't like have 
I don't know, it's so hard to find a good brand out there sometimes. Um, so yeah. I'm curious to know, like, what are your thoughts on partnering with bigger brands and like bigger corporations? Yeah, I feel like I haven't actually really done very many um, brand partnerships. But um, the ones that I have worked with, I did some stuff for, was it the, the ROM or the AGO? I think it was the ROM like a few years ago. And, you know, what I found interesting about that experience is like the way that they write, um, how they expect your social media to look at the time. And mm. um, that was my first like real partnership. And it was like, you have to do this many posts, this many stories, mm-hmm. you have to make sure you touch on this. And I did not like relinquishing control of my social media um, to sort of pander to advertising for someone. Like I was like, this it didn't feel good to me. So I kind of tried to take the reins and be like, listen, instead of just doing what you're expecting, I want to like draw some stuff in relation, like in response to like what's happening at the ROM. And so Mm. like I was able to do that, but then I think, I don't think it was the ROM that I'm thinking about, but there was another um, partnership that came through my inbox and they said, we'd love to partner with you, but you can't post anything sexual. You can't post anything Mm. that's like drinking or this or that. And I was like, yeah, but my social media is like me as a person. So like, that was really strange to me as well to have to like, um, and it was like a, a long-term thing. It was like for six months after posting this, you can't post stuff like that. And I was oh, like, wow. why do you get to have control? So like, I'm very like hesitant to partner with um, certain brands, but um, the ones that I do end up partnering with are like, for example, Unbound Babes, where I got to like advertise a vibrator and like draw myself <laughs> like with the vibrator and then like be like, you should buy this and use the code Chief Ladybird to get the vibrator. <laughs> that was like, that was up my alley. And I think, it's, I think it depends on the person because you want to partner with brands who are um, true to who you are as a person. So it doesn't make sense for someone like myself who is sexual or who is very open about who I am or like shows my life or, or will show myself having a beer or whatever, like partnering with brands who, who feel the same way. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's, it's like that, that's where I'm at. That's why I'm asking these questions. Cause it is a hard um, topic. Cause it is like, yes, we want to reimagine a new future and we want to indigenize all these things. But then it's like, at the end of the day, it is like a colonial capitalistic society. So it's kind of like, I think it's very specific on which brand partnership. And also I, you touched on this on like how we can give back to the community or like reparations or something. So I love that you're always thinking of like, how can I give back to communities and how do brand, how do your collaborations feel about that when it comes to supporting your community? Um, has there been any challenges or mostly success when you do that? Uh, it's been pretty good actually when I'm kind of like suggesting like, Hey, we should donate to this or we should do that. Um, or a lot of times I'll be like, don't pay me, but put it into this or I'll say, mm-hmm. hey, what I'm going to do with it. But, um, the problem that we've been coming up with, and maybe this is just who I'm partnering with, but (laughs) like finding charities who will accept money from certain organizations. So like, for example, a lot of people who we were trying to give money to with the beer can were like, no, we can't actually accept money from like an alcohol company. And then I'm, I'm trying to do like some limited edition tote bags with um, fire and flower, which is a dispensary. And they, you know, we were going to donate to, water first I think it's called and it's like to get clean water to first nations communities and they were like we can't accept money from a dispensary and I'm like, That's mm. so interesting. like I didn't realize that there was like 
um, stipulations on like who they would accept money from. Like I could understand like not taking like money that's like being laundered from like right, <laughs> right. Yeah, there's so like many like liabilities. But <laughs> <laughs> like these are like legit companies like that are legal, and I was like, wow, oh, that's so interesting to me. So that's a learning curve at the moment, and. You know, if you ever have any suggestions about where this dispensary can can move the money to, I am kind of like getting them to do the work because I'm like, mm-hmm. these organizations have to learn also how to do it themselves instead of like reaching out to Indigenous people and being like, can you do this for me so we look good? Whoa. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's another thing too, is like, I have a lot of people that are like, I want to help an Indigenous community. It's like, where do I begin? I'm like, dude, that's such, that's so much pressure on me. Like, I don't know. Like, I know. That's such a big question. Um, I, I love how confident you are and like how rooted you are in your own identity. And so what would your advice be to the younger generation that maybe is, you know, trying to find their art or trying to find themselves? My advice is honestly to just like stay true to yourself. And like, maybe that's such a broad statement and and maybe it's cheesy, but like I, and I'll tell an, an anecdote about how I came to this. Specific <laughs> <laughs> like when I was living in Toronto uh, in my early twenties, I would say, um, you know, I was, when I was a teenager and into my early twenties, I was, and I, and still to this day, okay. I'm not making any sense, but I've always (laughs) listened to like metal, been into horror, like loved sort of like the darker side of things. And when I started to create work that was um, rooted in my indigenous teachings, I was kind of like confused because I was like, Mm. how do I transition, first of all, from making like this kind of art to this (laughs) kind of art or like, can they exist together? But then, you know, there's the other side of my identity that is like sexual and empowered in that way. So it's like, there's all these different facets of my identity. And I think I got focused in on like, how do I make it one thing when it's like, we're Mm. not monolithic. And we always say that, but that comes down to us like individually as well. We're not one thing. There are Mm -hmm. so many different aspects to what makes us who we are. And so, you know, when I was in the city, I think I kind of got caught up in like the certain culture that's like, we got to wear ribbon skirts. we got to rock like 17 Mm. pairs of beaded, things at once and braid our hair and wear our makeup a certain way and and post certain things that that are just super indigenous Mm -hmm. and it's like I think that that confused me when I was like younger and impressionable and it was like I don't know it was just like not that I was trying to be someone I'm not but it was like I think maybe trying to fit in and like be more palatable but it's like we don't have to be palatable Mm -hmm. We we can exist as all of these things at once and also like in terms of indigenous art it's like it doesn't have to be one thing if you're indigenous and you made it regardless of what the content is that is indigenous art and you have every right Mm. to make any form of art that you want to make and you know when I was younger too it was always like why don't you paint in woodland style why are you painting Mm. demons or whatever I was doing And then like now with my style, I combine like a bunch of different things and that's kind of like what makes it my own. And I make a, a ton of stuff that like never sees the light of day. <laughs> and, that's and that's part of the process. Like we don't have to post every single thing that we do online in order for it to be valid. Like even if it just exists totally. in a book and put away on the shelf, like it's still like our creative expression. It's still valid. Um, mm-hmm. But I do want to say like social media is like, a really great tool and my dad and mm-hmm. I were talking about this last night he was like you know when you started doing Instagram and stuff like that he's like that might have been one of the greatest decisions that you ever made for your career and I was like 
I think so. <laughs> because yeah. you get to not only show off like what you're doing and like post it and, and express who you are, but the connections that I've made, like, for example, I'm sitting here talking to you right now. It's like, mm-hmm. if I wasn't on the internet, we would have never like met and connected in this way and been able to have these conversations. So it like, it just connects us to each other in this really beautiful way and makes our community closer in a sense. Hmm. You touched on so many good points of like, where my multi dimensional beings and we don't have to exist as one thing. And it's funny, because I'm sitting here wearing a ribbon skirt. So like, when you said that, I was like, Oh, oh damn. <laughs> it's Indigenous History Month, though. So <laughs> I love it. Well, that's the thing, too, is like, it's not, a, it's not wrong. Like, it's so beautiful. And I've got ribbon skirts, too. But I, I feel like I don't wear them as much as I should. And like, yeah, well, how many people look so freaking beautiful? And I'm like, oh my God, you're ethereal. Yeah, well, that's why I started wearing mine because they were just in my drawer. And I was like, I am doing a disservice by not wearing these. <laughs> um, how can people support your work? I actually have one of your clocks in my kitchen right now. Yay. Um, I don't have an online shop I have um, <laughs> if you if people are interested in buying prints or like talking to me about the originals I have um I don't have a shop set up but I have a google doc that I've like linked in my all my social media bios and it's like I chose to do it this way because I actually want to talk to the people who are buying my work like I don't want it to be this like online shopping experience where it's so disconnected because mm. like the work I'm making comes from like spirit and experience and if people have questions they can ask me about it and I just don't like the idea of like becoming a product in people's minds right. and, and being dehumanized because like social media as great as it is can feel very dehumanizing like the bigger that follower totally. number gets like I think people kind of see me as just a little thing in their phone but I'm like real so I love <laughs> <laughs> I love that people can just like take a look at it and then email me and be like, Hey, I kind of want some prints and then be like, I'm from here and we can kind of chat if you know what I mean. And yeah, totally. Like more of that relationship building. Well, that brings me to my next question is like this idea of indigenous futurism and existing in, you know, mainstream spaces, colonial spaces. What do you hope for the rest of 2021 when it comes to you and your work? Oh, good question. You know, what's funny is like, (laughs) I'm definitely like (laughs) a futurist in terms of like the broader sense of like, we need to like be sustainable and and protect, protect everything and and make sure that we're all taken care of and also get the land back. Um, But in Mm -hmm. like my own personal life, I'm such a day to day person. Like, I, I'm so funny, because I have all these calendars that I think I mentioned earlier. And I write down each day, do this, do this, do this. And then that day comes, I'm like, nah, (laughs) (laughs) i'm good yeah and i'll just but i think that that's kind of like just the beauty of who i am in a certain way is like each day i'm like what do i feel like doing today i can kind of do whatever i want and um so i don't really know what what i want for the rest of the year but i just know that i gotta i want to get this stuff done that i have to do (laughs) i have like a commission wait list from last year that has like 53 (laughs) people on it so Okay, I think my goal for the year is to get those done. <laughs> I remember seeing seeing your stories talking about it. I was following your day in the life. And I was like, you know what? I need to, I'm inspired by your day in the life. I need to just chill out sometimes and take it 
take it day by day <laughs> vibing and i was laughing when i did the day-to-day like the day in the life thing because like <laughs> I, I sat down and i was like all right i'm gonna do some emails now and then my next story was like i don't know i'm bawling a watermelon i'm going to the beach and i looked at the timestamp, and it was like 20 minutes apart and i was like oh my goodness i can't sit still <laughs> and then you like got up from a nap you're like oh <laughs> <laughs> I guess i slept <laughs> Better. and then five minutes later i was like i'm painting <laughs> you're like oh my gosh um i know we may post this interview a little bit later but the last question i want to know your thoughts around canceling canada day <laughs> oh yeah cancel it, <laughs> cancel it. okay um canada day uh yeah i you know what's so funny is like when i was growing up i had i you know, had white friends who would always be like, do you want to come like go swimming on Canada day and we can do fireworks and all this stuff. And I always kind of ended up in an area where if I'm just like, yeah, Canada. And it was just like so normalized. Yeah. And then, you know, a few years ago, I was really thinking about, I'm like, what, what is the celebration exactly? And I think it was Canada 150 that really put it into perspective for me. Um, mm. I was like, Oh, Canada's only 150 years old. Like I didn't even know how old our country was. <laughs> Same. I was, I was like, that is so young. Like, especially, you know, considering how long we've been here, how long indigenous people have been um, existing on this land. And then you think about in that short period of time, the amount of damage that's been done, the amount of displacement, the genocide, the violence, mm-hmm. everything. Just like it, they completely in that short, short time stamp, like a blip of time wrecked everything and i'm like why mm-hmm. are we celebrating that that's awful so then yeah, yeah that was the moment when i became anti-canada day yeah yeah that was actually kind of the same same time for me too because i had the same thought process i was like what we've only been here for like 151 years like that is a baby in comparison like christianity the catholic church they're babies in comparison to like indigenous people and so yeah i had like awakening around the same um year i it was definitely cognitive dissonance because like i grew up in a predominantly white community and i would wear like a canada shirt like when i was younger and it just felt weird (laughs) now i'm like oh that is the reason why i never really got it um and you probably get this question often um just you know being indigenous and having a platform but for non-indigenous people that are wanting to support or to yeah support indigenous communities what would your advice be for the non-indigenous people out there my advice would be give us the land back (laughs) (laughs) boom (laughs) And also, um, I think, I think there's a tendency for people to slide into our DMS and be like, what can I do? And I think we've kind of touched on this a little earlier and it's like, think about the fact that if you're one person doing that, there's gotta be a hundred or so other people who are thinking the same way that you are, who are sliding into the exact same DMS. Mm -hmm. And it's not one person that we're answering all the time in terms of that. It's like, a ton of people flooding our DMs and asking for this labor and asking for answers. And it, I think at a certain point, step on the brakes <laughs> <laughs> and find find the resources because like I said, we're all super connected online. So it's like once you're following one person, it's pretty easy to kind of like follow the trail of breadcrumbs to find totally. all these other incredible people who are doing all this work. And um, you know, filling up your your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook feeds with like different indigenous thoughts on things. Um and, and taking the time instead of just scrolling past it, like just just read or just listen or watch, and mm-hmm. you know that that will sort of help. Um, and we're always posting like 
resources and, and different things like that. It, I think that's like a really good first step. Um, and that would be friggin' sweet too, because like, you know, I, since I've been home, I've been kind of like looking around because like our reserve is like checkerboarded in a way where it's not one, one section of land. It's like a main section. And then there's several sections that are kind of like patched around the area. So we're also surrounded by crown land and like non-indigenous people mm. and we're mm-hmm. I noticed a lot of us are pushed back from the water like we're right on the lake but we're pushed back so we're near a swamp but then all of those lakefront properties along coochie ching are all like rich white people and right. by some happenstance i've ended up at a couple of these people's houses and listened to what they think about the land and <laughs> specifically there was this one woman who was like i knew a, f- a purebred Indian once and I was like purebred <laughs> like a dog like I was really like what the heck and then she's like yeah and we had a totem pole installed over here and I was like we're not wow. on the west coast like why did you have a totem pole <laughs> so you know when I think about that kind of stuff it's like you know if you have the the opportunity to like honestly give us some land back or like allow our like you know with our our new treaty uh settlements that have happened we have the opportunity to to buy land back which i don't think we should have to buy it but that's yeah just like to, yeah, yeah. to rebuild our land base which has obviously always been shrunken down because we were also nomadic people i feel like mm-hmm. i'm more on another planet, but it's like if you know it's a good thing to be able to like put the the own not ownership but to put that back into um our stewardship so that we can continue advocating for like the wellness of the waters and the lands mm-hmm. and you know it's mm-hmm. just yeah directly yeah like you said give the land back <laughs> summed it up um and then just to follow up it's like brings up um this idea of decolonizing it because like for um non-indigenous people they're very like fragmented in their thinking they go to school to study one thing um they master one thing uh when you go to school there's like there's all fragmentation and so this idea of decolonizing our perception and reclaiming like in a holistic perception of the world and how we're so interconnected and when you brought up like when you're creating you're often creating with like your environment and you're creating through creation you're creating through your relationships with animals and so decolonizing our own perception but in your own words if you could define decolonization how would you define that Mm. that's a big question for your last question (laughs) 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 but like when i think about decolonization the first thing that i think about is when i was working for ocad and i was like indigenous student support writing and learning consultant and like at the time they were revamping the academic plan and the the big like key words that were a part of that were decolonization and indigenization and then the funny thing about that is that you know the indigenous visual culture program was consulted very last they made this plan They said they were going to consult with us. So we had a bunch of feedback and things that we wanted them to change. And then they said, oh, we actually don't have time to implement those changes because you're the last one that we're consulting and we got to get it in tomorrow. Like that was like, wow, such a messed up thing that I witnessed. Like I was like, it, it, to me in that moment, the word decolonization became just that, just a word. Like I was like, unless you're actually putting the effort in to make these changes, it doesn't really mean anything because you can write that in your academic plan all you want, but you want the system to stay the same and to continue benefiting you and to not help us um, mm-hmm. help us. Um, 
And I think that sort of opened my mind up to like, can we decolonize an institution like this? And mm-hmm. I don't really think we can unless we literally tear it down and start from the ground up and create learning environments that, like you said, aren't aren't centered on mastering one thing um, mm-hmm. that are a little more broader in terms of like how we can understand the world through different avenues. Um, and also just like the way institutions like that are set up just like don't make sense anymore at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the pandemic mm-hmm. has taught us that uh, both about school and about like work life in terms of even even the work week, five days on, two days off, doesn't make any sense. Nine to five doesn't make any sense. C- commuting no. into an office doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And like, I think that's what has, yeah, like you're saying, has been really highlighted throughout the pandemic is like the way that we were living before was not in alignment with our highest good or our highest potential as like a community and as a collective. And so, yeah, I agree. Like decolonizing, um, like when you're de. I don't think it's possible to decolonize like a colonial <laughs> entity or institution. Um, yeah, it's already yeah. been colonized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is why I like to get everyone's perception about decolonization. Cause like you said, there's two factors. There's like decolonization and then there's indigenization. And so what you're kind of saying is like, get rid of decolonization and just like dismantle the whole system, destruct it and start from the ground up. And then that ties into giving the land back. So yeah, I'm, I'm getting it. I'm getting everything you're putting down. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, but also, you know, in terms of decolonization outside of the institution in our own personal lives, it's like thinking about how the way we approach our lives can become more sustainable for ourselves and not like, working ourselves to death and burning out, you know, thinking about how we can live better in relation to like our surroundings. Like I've seen a lot of people starting gardens and mm-hmm. um, you know, replacing makeup wipes with like uh, reusable ones that you can just keep washing. So I feel like stuff like that is totally like decolonizing. Cause when you're buying something that you can continuously reuse or you're making something that you can use um, instead of having to, <laughs> to constantly give companies money to keep making the product that you need, then we're stopping their like line of production and um, not needing them anymore. Yeah. And then I think that's like why it's so important to have indigenous artists and creators and designers out there. Cause a lot of them already know like it is sustainability is like, it's connected to like indigenous sovereignty. And so, yeah, I think rebuilding a future that um, is indigenized. <laughs> I'm just reimagining this now. Um yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm like that 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 was a big question to end on. I'm like now I'm starting to think of like how can we what are the tangible ways into this is where I'm caught up on is like as an indigenous person sometimes it feels like we're doing so much because not only are we healing like intergenerational trauma, we're also trying to like take care of our mental, emotional, physical, spiritual well-being, and then also dismantling this these systems. And so sometimes I feel like I have so much work to do, but like not enough people are out there also working on it. And so I'm just looking like ways to tangibly begin today. And I think it comes back to like, how are your actions as an individual tying into the collective uh, liberation as a whole? Right? Totally. Right? Totally. I agree. But and like, that's where, why a lot of us get so burnt out, because we take on so much and not everyone's doing it. Um, but it's okay to like, take a step back and rest. And like, it's okay if you end up having to like rely on this system to like get you through the day. Cause like 
at the end of the day, we still want everyone to survive and still be here. And it's like, we need to learn to not be hard on ourselves if we have to go to Walmart for a case of bottled water. It's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, until we can, like, like you said, find something tangible to like replace that. Unfortunately, we have to rely on mm-hmm. it. The one thing that mm-hmm. does irk me about the whole, the whole thing is that a lot of like individual onus is like always put on it. Like what we can do as individuals. And like, of course we want to do what we can at the individual level, but it's like these big factories and companies um, who need to start taking some responsibility. And, you know, I'm looking at like the oil companies and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. um, they're, instead of them taking on the responsibility at the, the whole message is always, what can you as an individual do? Right. Right. Like, I don't and know. Then- stop the pipeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to fucking arrest me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Well, I know we touched on this a little bit, but um, if you just want to say where people can follow your work, your Instagram, um, anything else, final thoughts. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your energy and your time. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of your work uh, in 2021. And I would invite you to create more of a day in the life of your stories. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, this was like, so fun like it feels like I'm talking to an old friend and this is literally our first time chatting like this um so thank you for like sharing this space with me and for bringing up these amazing questions and for the laughs because (laughs) this laughter is like (laughs) such good medicine it feels so good um but yeah people can follow me on instagram or twitter at chief ladybird um and then on facebook it's chief ladybird art And if you want to kind of keep up on my shenanigans, I'm always posting (laughs) stuff on my stories. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I would love your feedback. Follow me on Instagram at Shayla0h at matriarch.movement. And don't forget to subscribe on the pod platform of your choice and review and rate where possible. I'll be back in a week. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for tuning in.